Hey, I'm Michael Wood, lead pastor at First West. Thank you so much for joining us today. Here in just a second, we're gonna dive into God's word and to see what it says about who he is, about who we are, and about the hope that can be found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray that today God's word will encourage you, it'll challenge you, and it'll allow you to see that no matter where we find ourselves, there's always hope because of Jesus Christ. So let's dig in and see what God has for us today in his word. We are back in 1 Corinthians. I gotta be honest with you, last night, one of my boys, he said, uh, as he typically does on Saturday, hey, Dad, what are we talking about tomorrow? And I said, we're talking about 1 Corinthians. He goes, oh, gosh, right? So if you don't know why, uh, maybe you've just joined our church in more recent days. Uh, this has been a journey through this book. We are now entering in our 32nd sermon out of the book of 1 Corinthians. We began this journey beginning of 2022. And here's the good news. There's only two chapters left. We can see light at the end of the tunnel. And I believe like most movies, good movies, right? When you feel that turn in the movie, you know, man, it's getting good. You know the crescendo is coming. And no doubt in 1 Corinthians, we see a crescendo moment that takes place in chapter 15. And so I'm excited to begin this year off. As we talked to you here last week about what it means to pursue the Lord, for us to make every effort to grow in our faith, to take next steps in our faith, and to help others take theirs. Uh, I am so excited to begin with this foundational understanding of the importance of the resurrection in our life. Now, just to catch you up, uh, remember, Paul has a relationship with these people. We see in Acts chapter 18 that he has spent time in Corinth. He went there on part of his missionary journeys. He's preaching the gospel. People are coming to faith in Christ. He begins this church or plants this church, spends a, a significant amount of time with them. So he has a deep relationship with these people. And, and what we find is that as he's going to tackle different subjects through uh, the book of 1 Corinthians that we've seen, today, as I said, he's going to center in on this idea of the resurrection. How do we know that? Well, you can look down in verse 12 of chapter 15, and we can see this position or this understanding that the church at Corinth has. He says there, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? Some people, you've heard me say this in this series, but trying to determine what is Paul's motive for this letter, some say that Paul is answering questions that the church at Corinth had. And others would say that Paul was questioning the answers that the church at Corinth had. That there were those in the church at Corinth that were puffed up in their knowledge and their arrogance, and they believed that they had it right. And Paul is writing here to challenge them in their understanding, in their theology, what they believed about God. And what we find here is that in all the issues that were going on in Corinth, there was the issue of this understanding of what happens to us when we die. What, what, is, what is God's plan for us for when death comes and when God restores all things in the new heavens and the new earth? And the position that the church at Corinth held was this. There will not be a resurrection of the bodies of believers in Christ. There will not be a physical resurrection. And so Paul now is going to question that answer. Now understand that for the church in Corinth, what was happening is that the culture of the day, the philosophers of that culture, that understanding and idea was seeping into the church. In fact, many Greek philosophers believed that the human body was a prison and they welcomed death because it was a deliverance from this bondage. Philosophers like Pythagoras or 
Plutarch who would believe that at death that, that the soul would be released from the body and that the good souls would fly to the upper realms or that they would become pure and fleshless and undefiled. And so what we see was that there was this skeptical attitude that had creeped into the church, and Paul here is going to face it head on. And listen, it can be easy for us to think about this and go, golly, what were they doing? Like, you have to stand what the Bible says, not on what the culture says, but what you and I understand, if we're real honest, is that even today we see how philosophies of this world can creep into the church and people can have their worldview, their understanding about life and ethics and morality can be built more on what the world believes and what Scripture says, even when it comes to this issue of death. Right? Some people, at times, with a good heart, Please hear me today, if you've said this before, I'm not trying to make you guilty. I'm not putting your social media post up on the screen. But, but some people with a good heart, maybe you've heard them say before, or you've seen them put on social media before, of, you know, my grandmother passed away today. We're heartbroken, but we're thankful that another angel has gained her wings. That sounds great, but it is nowhere in the Bible. Nowhere. I mean, really, you... You have a better chance of growing wings and becoming a Marvel superhero than you do becoming an angel and getting wings, all right? We don't find that understanding in the Bible. Now, if you read a script from the movie It's a Wonderful Life, you will find it. And what has happened is that popular culture has had a bigger influence on our understanding of death than what the Bible says. And so again, listen, if you put that on your social media, I'm not going to comment on it of you are biblically wrong. You know, I, I'm not going to do that, all right? But we want to make sure that in all areas of life, we're building our life, and we're going to see that today, on what the Word says, not on what culture says. And here in this instance, as we're thinking about what happens to us after we die, and when God brings all of this to an end, they were being more influenced by their culture than what the Word says. And so what we find in chapter 15 is that he is going to deal with this understanding of the resurrection. And he is going to build it out, as one commentator said, it is more fully expounded here than in any other part of Scripture. And it makes clear that God's purpose has never been simply about saving souls for a disembodied existence in heaven as though creation were just of merely temporal usefulness. And so today we're going to dig into this and we're going to see him lay a foundation for us over the next couple of weeks to get a better understanding of what happens for you and I that are believers in Christ when we die and Christ returns. So I want to invite you to stand. We're going to read God's word. Today we'll be looking at verse 1 through 19. For our reading time, we'll just look at verse 1 through 11. The Apostle Paul writes to the church. He says, now I want to make clear for you, brothers and sisters, the gospel I preached to you in which you received and which you have taken your stand. And by which you are being saved, if you hold to the message I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I passed on to you of most importance what I received. That Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. That he was buried. That he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas. And then to the twelve. Then he appeared to over 500 brothers and sisters at one time. Most of them are still alive, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and to all the apostles. Last of all. As one born at the wrong time, he also appeared to me. For I am the least of the apostles, not worthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace towards me is not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it is I or they, so we proclaim, and so you have believed. Let's pray together. God, today we come to you with open hearts. 
And Lord, it is my prayer with a willing spirit. Spirit of God, we long for you to use this moment to help us understand you better. And for our hearts to be more transformed into your likeness. That we would understand today the key that the resurrection plays in the gospel and in our faith. And God, with the implications of that play out, that we would walk in boldness, that we would walk by faith, knowing that you have overcome death, sin, and the grave. God, would you be with us in this moment for our good and for your glory, in Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. As we dive into this passage, which for some of you may be familiar, the main idea that we're chasing today from the text is this, is that the resurrection is essential to the gospel and our faith. The resurrection is essential to the gospel and our faith. Paul is going to make a logical, strategic argument here to deal with this understanding in the church that there was no bodily resurrection for the believer when Christ returns. And to do so, he is going to begin by laying a strong foundation for us of the key, the essentialness, if you will, of the resurrection of Christ. And over the next couple of weeks, we are going to continue to work through chapter 15, and we are going to get even some more details on how this is going to happen and what it's going to be like and why it's going to happen. But today we're beginning with just this understanding of how essential the resurrection is to the gospel, to the good news of Jesus Christ, but also how essential it is to our faith. First thing I want you to see in the passage here is simply that the weight of the gospel demands clarity. The weight of the gospel demands clarity. We see in verse 1, he begins, Now I want to make clear for you, brothers and sisters. We see this transitional word now that he's used all throughout the letter, meaning, hey, we're looking at a new subject, a new idea here. He's changed lanes. And we see once again uh, this, this phrase that he gives, brothers and sisters. It's a reminder. These are people he knows, people he loves, that he cares about. And so he's trying to help their understanding on an issue. And he wants, he's saying again, I want to make it clear to you. I want you to have full understanding of the reality of the resurrection. And why is that the case for Paul? He's going to remind him the weight of what this message is about. He says, it is this gospel that I preach to you. In the original language, it's the, the, the same word pretty much. that I, 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 The gospel, it's the content of the gospel, the good news. And he says that I good news to you, that I preach to you, that I brought this message to you of what Christ has done. And look at what he shares here about their, their reception and their relationship to this gospel message. We see almost a chronological order that he makes here. Three things he says about it. He says, number one, it's the gospel that you received. The word there is to welcome. It's to open the door and to allow a guest to come in. For these people, these brothers and sisters in Christ, there has been a moment in their life where they have put their faith and their trust in this gospel. They have welcomed it into their life. But look what else he says here. It's not just that you welcome it into your life. It is this gospel in which you are taking your stand. I love that phrase. He's saying it is through this good news that you have planted the flag of your life. It is in this gospel that is your worldview that you are structuring, as I said earlier, your ethics, your morality, your relationships, your finances, right? This gospel is what you are claiming that you are centering your life around. And if you're going to center your life around it, you better be very clear about what it is that you are taking your stand upon. Because if you don't have that clarity, and I'm telling you this today right here in 21st century Washita Parish, that if you are not clear on this gospel in which you take your stand, when you begin to face opposition, you will see that you have a hard time standing. 
He wants them to understand the value that this gospel is playing in their life, and he wants to give clarity to it. All right, in the same way, I, I'm confident. The Bible says that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Let me give you a reason that I know that to be true. How many of you in here have ever been filling out something and it says, click this box, signifying, it says, I have read the terms and conditions of this contract. How many of you have ever clicked that and been a bold-faced liar when you did? <laughs> Guilty. You know what? If you're not raising your hand, it's because you're a liar or you don't have a computer. All right? One of the two. But why do you do that? Because <laughs> I just saw a get up in the balcony with two hands up. Yep. I'm in. Right? But listen. Yeah, I can see you all up there. Be on your best behavior. All right? Now listen. Uh, <clears throat> why do you do that? Well, it's because you've determined that whatever it is that you're doing, right, going through word by word, sentence by sentence, paragraph by paragraph, your time is more valuable than the details of what's in there. You don't need clarity. Why? Because you don't value it. Or some, for some of you, you've had to sign contracts, agreeing to something, agreeing to a certain amount of money, and you have read word by word by word by word. Why? Because of the value the significance, the weight of what it is. And here Paul is not just dealing with this issue of their understanding of the resurrection of the dead, a bodily resurrection, but, but just the weight of the gospel. He's saying you've welcomed it into your life. You were, you were making your stand on this gospel. And then finally he's thinking future here. Verse 2, in which you were being saved if you hold to the message I preached to you unless you believed in vain. Here he's speaking to the importance of an authentic faith that is evidenced by an enduring faith. He's saying this is the gospel in which you are setting your hope on for all of eternity. And if that's a reality, you better be crystal clear about what it is that you believe. So the weight of the gospel, it demands clarity. And as he begins to clarify for them and clarify for us, we're going to see that he is going to center in on this understanding of the resurrection. Let's look with verse 3 through 8. We're going to see that the resurrection of Jesus is key to the gospel. Right? The resurrection of Jesus is key to the gospel. Verse 3, for I pass on to you as most important, or your translation may say of first importance, what I also received. And what we're going to see here is he's going to lay out these sentences. All these different verbs, I'm sorry, all these different verbs are going to be laid out, and Christ is the subject of every one of them but two. It helps us to see that Christ is the central figure of the gospel. What is he going to say here about this gospel, clarifying this gospel? Number one, that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. Number two, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, verse 5, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve and some more. And so he's going to say, in clarifying this gospel message, this is the gospel. This is one of the clearest pictures of the gospels that you will find in all of Scripture. Some believe that what Paul is doing here, he is simply re repeating a creed that was being used in the local church. That at times, just like we stand and read Scripture, that potentially in the early church they would stand and they would repeat exactly what Paul has just said here. And Paul is using that creed to, to, um, to build this foundation on the nature and importance of the resurrection. But notice what he says here. He says, first of all, that Christ died. Not just that Christ died, but he modifies it by saying, for our sins. We understand that the gospel message is only good news if Christ comes to rescue us from our sin problem. 
So from the very early days of the church, they were without a doubt proclaiming the reason for Christ's death was for our sins. The the term there is substitutionary atonement, right? He was atoning. He was making right our sin problem, and he was doing it by being the substitute for us. So Christ died for our sins. We see this over and over again in Paul's writing in the New Testament. Galatians chapter 1, verse 4, Christ gave himself for our sins. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. Galatians 3, that, um, that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Romans 5, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 4, he delivered us over from the death for our sins and raised to life for our justification. So over and over again, it is clear that Christ's coming was more than just to be a moral revolutionary, more than just to be a good teacher, more than just to come and simply die. But he was coming to die with a mission to redeem us from our sin problem. So Christ died for our sins, but look at what else he says, according to the scriptures. And this is fascinating because at this point, they don't have the New Testament gospel. The church doesn't have that. When Paul writes this specifically, we see here that he says it in the plural, not just according to the scripture, but the scriptures. Paul here is thinking of the Old Testament. This is why, like, these holidays when we did a Christmas series, we talked about Jesus being something greater. And we went back and talked about the Mosaic covenant, covenant, and the Abrahamic covenant, and the Noahic covenant, right? The Davidic covenant, right? We talked about all these covenants. Why? Because we were helping you see that the manger is significant, and we celebrate that God had come to be with his people. But that was one episode of a bigger season that God has been writing. And so there's a recognition here that Jesus died for our sins according to the Scripture. In fact, in Luke chapter 18, it tells us that Jesus pulls aside the disciples. He says, listen, we're going to Jerusalem. And everything um, that was written through the prophets about the Son of Man will be accomplished. Jesus himself, as he walked here on earth, knowing that he was going to die for the sins of the world, he knew that what was happening was according to the Scriptures. It goes on to say here, Paul does, in verse 4, that he was buried. This statement is one that supports what he has just said. You know who you bury? Dead people. Christ died. And that is evidenced by the fact that he was put in a tomb. He goes on to say, not only that, and here's the the, the key to the gospel, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. The tense that this is written is one in which it is a continual thing. Not that he rose and it was over, but today as we come together and we worship, we worship a risen Savior that is seated at the right hand of God. And every morning when we wake up, we wake up knowing that his mercies are new every morning. And every morning we wake up knowing that he is still victorious over death, sin, and the grave. That's an incredible promise, an incredible confidence builder in our faith walk. You notice again here that it says that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. We see that phrase again. Scholars debate if that according to the scripture is talking simply about his resurrection or the fact that it happened on the third day. There's evidence for both. In fact, you look at Hosea chapter 6. In verse 2, it tells us, it says that he will revive us after two days, and on the third day he will raise us up so that we can live in his presence. It's a wink from God through Hosea of what Christ was going to do. Jesus himself, as he walked among his people, one of the things he shared about was Jonah. 
Talked about just as Jonah was in the belly of a fish for three days, in the same way he would go down into the ground and then he would rise again. So there was an understanding that this idea of resurrection, that it was one that we see from the Old Testament scriptures. Finally here in this gospel is that he appeared. And just as being buried, it gives evidence to one who has died in the same way. One who appears after death gives evidence to one who has been raised from the dead. Three names that are given in this list, Cephas, one of the leaders of the early church, James, the Lord's brother, and finally Paul. But the one I want you to center in on is the one in which he says he appeared to over 500. This is a great apologetic for the truthfulness of the resurrection. A reason why the Christian faith is not a blind faith, but it is a step of faith that is built on reason. Scientists, psychologists, people much smarter than me, they will tell you that hallucinations are a real thing, but group hallucinations, especially with 500 people, that doesn't happen. And Paul is so confident of the reality of Christ's resurrection that as he's writing this letter, he says he appeared to over 500 of them, and notice what he says. They're still alive. What does that mean? Go talk to them. They'll tell you about when they saw the resurrected Christ. And i got to tell you, that's incredible confidence to say, not just go talk to this person, but you go talk to any of this 500, although some of them have fallen asleep. Some of them have died, but the others, you go. Listen, have you ever tried to corroborate with some people a story that wasn't true? It's not easy, is it? And the last thing you're doing is inviting people to go talk to all the people that are in on that lie. But yet Paul's confident that he has appeared. It is evidence of his resurrection, that he's overcoming death in the grave. And so we look at this and, and, and we see this, this, this creed, this, this clarity of the gospel message. And we see that Christ died for our sins, that he was buried, and that he rose again. And let me tell you, there are people throughout history that have claimed to be the Messiah. And there are people throughout history who have been willing to die for their people. But there is only one man in history that has raised himself up from the dead. And that is the distinction of the message of Jesus of Nazareth. I want you to consider for a moment that, the, that Paul says in Romans, those that can be made right with God in a right relationship through the forgiveness of their sin, to step into a relationship with him by faith. It says this, it says that you are saved. You are saved from your sin, you are saved from yourself, you are saved from an eternal destiny apart from God. And when Paul says that, he says this, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, means he's the boss, he gets to sit on the throne of my life. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that Jesus died on the cross. Now some of you right now are going, that ain't right. And you're right. Paul says, no, if you believe in your heart, what? That Christ raised from the dead, you will be saved. Paul understood the centrality of the resurrection in the gospel message. So the resurrection is key to the gospel. And hear me today. Point number three, the gospel is key to a changed life. All right, look at what Paul says here, beginning in verse 9. For I am the least of the apostles, not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and by his grace towards me was not in vain. I want you to consider for a moment here. As Paul here is listing out all these people to which Christ has appeared. And at the end of those listing of appearances, he says, like one untimely born. We know this is a reference here. He's thinking back on the road to Damascus that we see in, uh, in Acts chapter 9. 
But he's saying, I recognize that my story is very different than these other apostles. And, and my story is one unique. And he says, listen, I understand I'm the least of the apostles. And why am I the least? It's because he's looking at his past. He says, because I know that I was one who persecuted the church. And God's heart and God's desire for humanity and for this world and seeing people come to faith in Christ, Paul recognizes that in his life before Jesus, he was proactively working against the God of the universe. Why does that matter for you today? It matters because if you're convinced in here today that God would never would never be willing to for, truly forgive you of your sin, to truly give you the hope of being able to have a new life and a new start. Paul would say, you're crazy. Right? The gospel is the key to a new life. It is this message of forgiveness. It is this message of hope. It is this message of purpose. It is found only in the death, burial, and, uh, and resurrection of Christ that can truly take us from wherever we're at to where God desires us to be. He says, I am what I am by the grace of God. He recognized that it was the forgiveness of God. It was the gifting of God. It was the new start that God had given him in which he was putting his hope. Hear me today. Hear me today, not, not even as a, as a preacher standing behind a, a Bible, but hear me as a Christ follower, as someone who who cares about you to say, listen, I don't know what your story is. I don't know, care, I don't care how, how much guilt and regret you live in. I don't care how much you've convinced yourself that God would never give you a chance. I want you to hear today that God knows the deepest, darkest secrets of your life. And today his heart is to see you forgiven of your sin and to come into a right relationship with him. And today you can do that by faith. And we're going to have an opportunity to do that here in just a moment. That you can respond to him by faith. Paul has built this firm foundation on the centrality of the resurrection of Christ. And now he's going to make a shift into beginning this argument that we're going to cover over the next couple of weeks. Of why that is so important when it comes to this understanding of what does that mean for us. Last thing I want you to see here today is beginning in verse 12 to understand that the resurrection of Jesus guarantees a believer's hope for eternity. I'm going to read beginning in verse 12, going through verse 19, but I want to encourage you to listen really, really well. He says, now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our proclamation is in vain, and so is your faith. Moreover, we are found to be false witnesses about God, because we've testified wrongly about God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. Those then who have fallen asleep in Christ have also perished. If we have put our hope in Christ for this life only, we should be pitied more than any other. And so he's beginning, we see, this argument 
is they're saying there is no bodily resurrection, no physical resurrection for the believer in Christ when God reconciles all things to himself. And he is tying it very tightly to the reality of the resurrection of Jesus. And he's saying that if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then we ain't rising from the dead. And if you're going to say that we're not raising from the dead, then what you're saying is Christ didn't rise from the dead. And the implications that he gives from that are pretty significant. Paul says in verse 14, his preaching and his faith is useless. In verse 15, he's saying that what we have been proclaiming, this gospel message is false. It is false if it were from God. Verse 17, he's saying that their faith is futile and they are still guilty of their sins. Verse 18, that even those that have fallen asleep as Christians will actually face judgment. There will be no grace to be found if Christ has not been risen from the dead. And finally there in verse 19, that if the resurrection isn't true, then Christians should be pitied more than anyone. It means if the resurrection isn't true, then there's no point that we got all dressed up to come to church today. If the resurrection isn't true, then trips that we've taken overseas to, to take the gospel to people who've never heard, it was a waste of time. The hours volunteering, whether in vacation Bible school or in a public school here or at the thrift store, that it was all a waste, that we should be pitied more than anyone. Here's what I want you to recognize today. If the resurrection is true, then it means that has changed everything. And he says here in verse 19, if we have put our hope in Christ for this life only. It's the understanding here that, that there's no guarantee. That there, there, there's nothing that I'm building my life upon on what's to come next. And it takes us back to that reminder of, or, or, or really that conversation about that word hope. If Christ is our hope in this life only, then we should be pitied. The understanding there is an understanding of hope that is simply wishful thinking. He's saying if we're building our life without the resurrection, we're building our life simply on wishful thinking. Like you're hoping that the Cowboys are going to, you're wishing they're going to win on Monday night, right? Can I get an amen? amen. Nope, I heard it. Nope, you cannot. But if the resurrection is true, if Christ really did step out of that grave, if the reason that thousands of Jewish people, think about this for a moment, that thousands of Jewish people would leave the faith, they would leave their Jewish faith that they had practiced their entire lives. They would lead, leave the faith of their parents. They would leave the faith of their spouses. They would leave the faith of their siblings to go and follow this man, Jesus of Nazareth. Something had to happen. If I were to ask you today, what would it take for you to leave your Christian faith to begin to pursue another faith? I think a large majority of you in here would say it would take something very, very significant in my life to do that. But I want you to recognize we see in the book of Acts, as the gospel is beginning to be preached, we see thousands of people leaving the Jewish faith, leaving this faith of their lives, of their culture, of their community, to follow this man, Jesus. Why? Because he had risen from the dead. 
And their lives are no longer going to be wishful thinking in their performance, but it was going to be a hope that was built on a solid foundation, not of what they had done, but what Christ has done. And I want to ask you today, are you living your life with wishful thinking that it'll just turn out okay in the end? Or is your hope built on the resurrection of Jesus Christ? And is that hope in your life is, is that belief, a belief in such a way, not just that you would affirm it in your mind, but that you would believe it in your heart, that it would cause you to bend your life to that truth. I saw this week, someone said, man, it was so stunning to consider this thought. He said, basically to paraphrase, it's a sad reality that if we stare into the sun which is 93 million miles away for a significant amount of time, it will blind us. But yet for many people, they're convinced they're going to walk right into the glory of God and be okay. You stare into the sun at 93 million miles away and it'll blind you. But for many people, we're convinced we'll just walk right into the glory of God and we'll be okay. You know what that is? It's wishful thinking. And it's foolish, wishful thinking. But today, our confidence, our confidence is not on wishful thinking. Is it in that moment when we step into the glory of God, we will know of the substitutionary atonement that Christ took our sins on himself in his death, burial, and resurrection. And Paul says that he was he was crucified for our sins, and he was raised for our justification, meaning that when he rose from the dead, it was the stamp of God's approval that the payment has been made. And it has been made on your behalf. Today, do you believe that God raised him from the dead? Are you willing to give your life to follow it? Because it is the resurrection that is essential to the gospel and our faith. Would you bow your heads with me today? I believe without a doubt that there are people that are listening, whether you're in the room or you're watching, you don't have that confidence in your life. And if we're real honest, you're just kind of banking on the idea that you're just going to, at that moment when you meet your maker, you're going to kind of come into the room and hope it goes okay. I just want to lovingly remind you today that God is a holy, majestic God, full of strength, full of power, and full of grace. And that grace is for the ones that have said yes to his son. And today, right now, he gives you that opportunity. Right now in this moment, you can believe on him that he died for your sins according to the scriptures that he was buried that he rose from the grave according to the scriptures and that he appeared and today you can confess with your mouth Jesus your Lord I'm ready for you to sit on the throne of my life I'm ready to be willing to change my life to live in accordance to who you want me to be. I'm ready to believe on you, to 
be forgiven of my sin and be made into a right relationship with you. Right now in this moment, right now in the stillness of this moment, just, just tell them that. There's no magical code. There's no waiting three or four weeks to try to get your life together. Today, he just longs for you to share your heart with him. To tell him you're ready to, as the Corinthians did, you're ready to receive him, to welcome him into your life. You're ready to take your stand, to build your life upon him. And you're ready to trust him for your eternal future. Just tell him today you're ready to walk by faith, to trust him. Maybe today you're here and you're a believer in Christ. And the obstacles in front of you seem insurmountable. The situation seems hopeless. It seems impossible. And today I just, I hope, praying that the Spirit of God firmly mercifully whisper into the depth of your soul with man what is impossible with God all things are possible and at the same power that rose Christ from the dead is the same power that lives in you and today you'd be reminded that you can walk in that power of the spirit that grace that's given from him Lord today thank you for some ways an elementary reminder of what the gospel is in some ways we understand it is is the deepest and greatest thought we could ever consider the God of creation the God of all glory would step down into his own rebellious creation to send his son to pay the penalty pay the debt that he didn't know. And with that, we could be rescued and redeemed and walk in right relationship with you. So Lord, I pray for those today that need to say yes to you. Today would be the day of salvation for them. And for those that are in Christ today, Lord, that we would keep walking, we would keep pursuing you, knowing that that same power is the power in us. God, thank you for this word today in Christ's name. Thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, We hope, again, that you were uh, encouraged by what God had to say for you and for your life. I just want to extend an invitation for you today. Maybe today you realize that you need Jesus in your life. Maybe today you just need to take that next step in your spiritual walk, or maybe you've got a spiritual need, and I want you to know that we would love to come alongside you and serve you any way that we can. Feel free to reach out to us at firstwest.cc, or you can call the church, 318-322-5104. And we would love to help you in what God is doing in your life. Have a great day.